0: Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen, and with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card,
1: right this way.
0: It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com/slash-with-amex. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging, and we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian
3: The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of The Book of Joe with me, Tom Berducci, and three-time Manager of the Year, Joe Madden. Joe, uh, I guess it's time to say Happy New
1: Year. It is. It's getting right there. I had a great Christmas. I hope you did also. Um I don't know. I'm not much of a New Year's celebrator like we had been in the past. Although I'm trying to make a commitment to be a little, little bit more hedonistic than I've been lately, so maybe we'll get out there and, and have a good time uh, in some in some method or way. But I need to do that. Well, for those
3: uh, math fans out there, 2023 is a big year because 2023 is called a a Harshad number, where you add up the numbers of the number, which in this case, 2023 is seven, and if that is a divisor of the number, you have a Harshad number. 289 times 7 is 2023. Why is that important? Because the word Harshad means joy giver. So we're in for a, a year of joy, Joe. Get ready. I, ju- I just said that. A hedonistic <laughs> year. Let's go. Not even realizing that. Well, you know, our, our book, The Book of Joe, it is a book that ostensibly it's about baseball, but we dive into a lot of areas. And that, that's why I'm excited about our guest today. Uh, you're saying, why are you having a former caddy and golf analyst on the Book of Joe podcast? Well, he's a great listen. Uh, Mark John Wood has been a caddy, was a caddy for 24 years. And then he decides to jump into the TV business and immediately becomes the best golf analyst on TV. And, and I really mean that. He's a pleasure to listen to. He's getting busy for the Hawaii swing right now. Welcome, John Wood. I, I guess I bury the lead, John. Also, San Francisco Giants fan.
4: Uh, you know, at this time, you can bury that lead. Uh, I'm totally fine with that, with what's going on there. <laughs> but thanks for having me on, guys. This is a, a true pleasure for me.
3: Well, one of the things we've been exploring, John, is the idea of glue guys in baseball and bands, movies, any place that involves teamwork. And a lot of people might be thinking, well, golf is such an individual sport. What does a glue guy have to do? with golf. And that's why Joe and I immediately thought about you and the job of a caddy. So give us an idea of the dynamic. We know that the, the guy holding the trophy, he's the one who signs the scorecard. He gets the glory. But how important is the caddy in terms of keeping things together either on or off the course?
4: Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And if there is a glue guy in golf, I, I definitely would say it is the caddy. Um, golf's very unique in that during play you're, you're the only guy that can give advice to your player. His coach can't. His sports psychologist can't. His trainer can't. Nobody else can except for you. So you try and take all that information that he's working on with his swing coach, with his short game coach, his psychologist, his trainer, his wife. You know, is it, something going on? You know, it was the kid up all night in the hotel room and he didn't get any sleep? So you're taking all that information as a caddy you know, sometimes noting it down, sometimes just putting it in your, in your brain going, okay, I might need to talk about this at some point today and trying to bring it all together for him. But you want to uh, leave him out of it as much as possible. He, he doesn't need to know any of the stuff you're talking about with his coach, with his psychologist, anybody, but um, in case you need it, you can bring it to him at certain key points in the round. So uh, that, that's kind of how I see a glue guy is in terms of a, a caddy working out there. Um, so it, it's a it's a great concept. I love the concept of a glue guy. Those were always my sa- favorite players, anyways. But um, you know, I, I'd say if there is a in that team, uh, the caddy is definitely the glue guy in golf.
1: Does this include like a pre-tournament meeting that you might have, like the practice rounds? You're walking the course. Uh, do you go through like almost like a prep, like a pre-series prep, like a major league team would do going into a series?
4: A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I never let, uh, when we got to a course, I never wanted the player to get on at the same time I did. I wanted to be out there Monday or Tuesday before the practice round, look over everything, figure out how my player, whether it be Matt Kuchar, Hunter Mahan, Mark Calcavecchia, how he was going to best play that course. And it's very different for everybody. Um, you wanted to, uh, the biggest thing, Joe, is not wanting, any surprises during the round You're, you don't want your pro to have surprises you want to be prepared for everything so um, like one day you'll, you'll play a hole and it's straight down wind and you, all you got to do is hit a three iron out there and you'll have wedge in your hand you knowing that the wind's gonna shift around say after Friday you know you look all that up during the week and you want to make sure on Tuesday or Wednesday you let them know hey it's three iron today but by Saturday when this wind completely turns around it's driver all day, um, and here's why. So when he gets to Saturday, he doesn't get out there and just grab the three iron thinking, okay, this is the play we've been making all week. It's worked. Um, you don't want to have that discussion then. You want him prepared ahead of time. So yeah, a ton of homework. Um, and, and definitely uh, you, you talk about how to play the course. And caddies have their opinions. Players have their opinions. And it's usually the same page. I would say 90, 95% of the shot decisions, you're on the same page. Uh, but those those five ten percent that you're not, um, you've got to have reasons to back up your decision, and you can't just say it's a feel. A player can say, "I feel I can hit this shot," and you're fine with it because they're the one hitting the shot, they're the one making the swing. But um, as a caddy, if you feel if you think he's hitting the wrong shot, wrong shot, you've got to have reasons. Um, you know, Matt, y- you hit this club two holes ago, the exact same direction, it carried one seventy three. You only have to carry this one 170. It's plenty of club Um, or, 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 um, you know, things like, Hey, we played this par three, two days ago, we were on a different tee. You hit this club and this is why you need two more here. Um, So as you're constantly keeping that stuff in your brain um, as a caddy and do you use it all? No, because like I said, usually you're on the same page, but um, I always say a good caddy has the answers to 10 questions that never get asked. And I I always joke with Michael Grell or Jordan Spieth's caddy because he gets asked all those 10 questions. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, I, was, I was wondering because as a bench coach, when I was a bench coach, uh, it's kind of like the same thing it sounds like. You always have to be prepped for everything. Uh, here comes the game. Game's in progress. Things are happening. And you have to either be um, able to suggest things or just be a great sounding board, one or the other thing. So when it came to giving suggestions, I always took that very um, seriously in a sense because Uh, This is the guy that has to answer if it doesn't work. So, I mean, when it comes to uh, openly making suggestions to your player, um, this has to got to be the residue of a great relationship that you built also, right? Because sometimes you're going to be wrong. I mean, you're not going to be right all the time. And you have to be able to um, absorb that, I guess, is the best way uh, to describe it. So when it comes to the openness and your suggestions, is there any kind of trepidation at times uh, only because of how this guy may react if it doesn't go right?
4: Uh, that's a, that's such a good point. Um, if you have the most important thing in a caddy player relationship is trust. You might not have anything in common, you know, different politically, different religiously, different the way you live your life. But if he trusts you on the course and knows that you've done the work to support your decisions, then he will believe you. I mean, there there are times when you've got to, uh, you know, dig deep and go, okay, I need three or four reasons why I think this is the right shot. I got to keep going because he, he's not buying it yet. But um, yeah, definitely. Um, a great example of that is Tiger and Joe LaCava. Joe LaCava used to work for Fred Couples for ages. Now he works for Tiger. And Joe is, is in my mind, one of the best caddies of all time. No question about it. He, he's so diligent, does all his work. But when you watch or listen to to Tiger and Joe on the course, when Tiger asks a question, Joe is very succinct and very much. Yes, no. Uh, Tiger, will this, will this club carry that bunker? Yes, no. Joe does not have to go through those reasons because Tiger knows he's already done all the work. He's not guessing here. He's not guessing that this club, he, he knows Joe's gone and done all that work and to to, to have to go through these arguments or to sit or discussions it's not necessary because he trusts Joe so much that he's done the work. He knows Joe's not guessing. Um, and, and other relationships you'll watch and um, you do have to go through everything. You have to explain why this is the club, why you think this is right. Um, and at the end of the day, it's the player's decision and you have to leave it at that. If he doesn't buy into what you're saying, then at the very end, you've got to buy into what he's trying to do and give him 100% confidence. Because um, these guys are so good when they make mistakes, in my mind, it's indecision. They're so good. When they are sure they've got the right club, they're going to make a good swing or a good enough swing.
1: Uh, Tom, and we have talked about this, uh, i.e. Mike Borzello in Game 7 of the World Series calling the pitches, the breaking balls to the, the hitter there. Um, you have to be a really good coach. is not afraid to put his neck out there based on what he believes in. There are some guys that do all the prep work in the world, and they'll, they'll stay up all night. They have all this stuff in front of them. But you have the kind of cojone to make the suggestion in the appropriate moment and not worry about it being wrong. To me, that's the guy I want on my staff. I don't want the guy that, again, is ambivalent, is not sure, doesn't want it hanging on his head if he's wrong. But if you have that guy that's done the work and is not afraid to make the suggestion, that is truly a valuable member of your team.
3: Yeah, Joe, I would add on to that. It's also the way the message is delivered. You talked about Joe LaCava, John, being just, just so succinct and obviously a high level of trust. My favorite caddy story on the amateur side involves Roger Clement. Roger Clemens is playing at Pebble Beach in the Pro-Am, and he's got – it's not a full wedge. And the caddy says, just choke down, flight it down, you'll be good. And Roger turns to him and says, what did you just say? He said, just choke up, choke down on the club. He said, never use that word. Don't even say that word to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, Careful how you semantics, phrase things, man. right? But I always notice the Caddy's on TV, John. I mean, you have to be 100% positive. I mean, the last word seemed to me always being, it's the perfect club. Absolutely. Whatever it is, it's just reinforcement of,
4: yeah, you got it. Yep. Absolutely. You've got to be, once the decision is made, you know, you can't let him go into the shot. Um, not believing this is hundred percent the right shot. And you watch his body language. You watch his face when you ask him a question about a shot or you present something to him, if he gives a long pause and he's kind of staring out at the pin, you know, trying to noodle through what you're telling him, you can tell when he's not buying into it and you have to keep going at that point. You can't just say, I've, I've made my piece and watch him get over the shot. He doesn't believe it yet, you know, which is it, it might as well give him a, a driver from 100 yards. If he doesn't believe it, it's it's not the right shot.
1: So you are the catcher. You are the catcher. The pitch selection matters. You know, it really comes down to it. I mean, if you have indecision in your pitch selection, it's going to be a bad pitch 100% of the time.
4: It's a perfect analogy. I was thinking about, you know, coming on today. And, and one of the things is, is, um, you know, I, I figure, I feel like a bullpen session before the round, before the, the game for a starting pitcher, you're seeing what he has, what he worked, what's working, what looks good, what doesn't same thing as a caddy You're watching him warm up going, gosh, this, this, he's not cutting the ball today. It's just not going left to right at all. So we're gonna have to deal with that. Um, and then when you get out into the course, obviously same thing as pitching, you don't always bring what you had in the bullpen to the mound. Same thing on the course. You might have the greatest warm up in the world. You get to the first tee, you hit a first bad tee shot and his mind starts racing all of a sudden. So you got to pay attention early on. What is he hitting well today? You know, there's, there's not always one right shot. There's multiple ways to get a ball in the right, right spot. So if he's not hitting a high cut good, like, you know, well, like he normally does, then you've got to work around it until he finds that swing, you know? So Um, it's, it's not one right shot. You've got to figure out what he's doing well, what he's feeling well, um, about and, and and really go with those, those swings until he figures out why the other one's not working.
3: Hey, John, we started out talking about how the way a lot of people look at golf as an individual sport. And I mentioned it is a team sport in its own way. Give us an idea. and And the caddy a lot of times is the glue guy. The amount of people that it takes for a quote-unquote individual golfer, whether it's physios, coaches, uh, trainers, whatever it might be, how many people is that caddy really interacting with to bring out the best in this guy?
4: Sure. It's it's amazing how big the teams have gotten um, in the last 10, 15 years. Obviously, most guys have a swing coach with them. Not every week, but uh, swing coaches are probably out the most. Um, a lot of guys have a separate short game coach who work on you know chipping and pitching and bunker shots and putting. Um, they'll have a sports psychologist. They will have, um, obviously the agents around, you don't usually have to deal with the agent too much unless it's a, a timing issue. If you feel, if you feel like he's your players getting tired and, and spread a little thin, then you have to have that conversation with the agent and say, Hey, cut these, you know, cut these outings the week of the tournament, you're, you're wearing this guy out. Um, so those are the three main are sports psychologist, um, swing coach and short game, but then you also need to go to his trainer. Um, And if his trainer comes to tell you, Hey, his warm up was okay today, but his back is tight or um, you know, his, you know, his left wrist has has been bothering him. You need to know that stuff. So you don't call for certain shots that he's not going to be able to hit. Um, He might not tell you that, but um, you have to know that information. And like I said, even the wife, you know, it's, it's invaluable to have a good relationship with, with his wife. Or his girlfriend knowing hey he didn't get any sleep last night the baby was up all night or um, he didn't get a practice a whole lot at home last week we had some stuff going on Um, just to get all that in your brain going into a week so you can plan out um, the week in your in your head um, as to how to get him most prepared and freshest for thursday morning
1: the parallels are incredible you're talking about you know talking about what we do every day it's amazing Good, Tommy.
3: It is. There's so many parallels. And I want to explore one more after we take a quick break. I always wondered how do you become a caddy? Like, you want to become an umpire? You go to umpire school. I'm not aware of any caddy schools, but apparently it involves the literary world. John's going to answer that when we get back.
5: (laughs) This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash bookofjoe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot slash bookofjoe.
0: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip.
5: Hi, checking in
6: for...
0: Or the perfect table.
6: Hey, where are you? Coming!
0: And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
6: Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
2: This message comes from Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship. With thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore, and every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.
3: Hey, welcome back to the Book of Joe podcast. Our guest is John Wood. PGA Tour caddy for 24 years and now the best golf analyst in the business with NBC and Golf Channel. John, I teased this getting into the world of caddying. I don't know what the, the quote-unquote regular path is for someone who does get involved in PGA caddying.
4: But for you,
3: give us an idea of
4: how it came about for you, a guy who did play college golf. Well, I, I used to say, how do you become a caddy? My, my line used to be you fail at everything else in life and then you end up as a caddy. But um, I, was, I had played collegiate golf at Cal, um, didn't graduate from there. I never finished, but um, I was kind of out of the golf world. I was playing here and there, and I knew some golfers, a lot of my buddies who you know, went to college and played Division I golf. Um, but I was managing a bookstore in Sacramento. I was kind of playing golf here and there, but certainly not thinking of a professional career or anything. Um, I knew uh, a player named Kevin Sutherland very well from Sacramento, knew his coach Don Bacham very well. Um, this was Kevin's second year on tour and we were just out hitting balls one day and he asked if I'd be interested in coming out and trying it. Um, you know, I I thought about it for a week or two and, um, I I really, I thought, well, when else am I going to have this chance? If I fail at it, if I'm terrible with it, so what I'll come back and, 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 you know, get another job or, or, or go in a different direction. Um, so I just totally fell into it, fell in love with it. Um, but even then I thought uh, I'll do it for a year or two and then get back to the real world. And um, you know, <laughs> that was almost thirty years ago at this point. So uh I, I kind of fell into it. It wasn't anything planned. Um today I think on tour there it used to be you would get your tour card and then you would go out and find a tour caddy and and learn the he knew the courses, he would lead you around. Um and then he would have to learn your personality, your as a player, your personality, what worked best for you. It's completely flipped now. Uh, players are bringing out, you know, brothers, college teammates, uh, guys who know their personalities very well and need to learn how to caddy. So um, it's a it's a different, definitely a different dynamic uh, the way it's turned into now. But um, I think this way is better because I think sometimes the the personalities and how to talk to your player when to give him a pat on the back and when to give him a kick in the ass um, is way more important than the X's and O's, the numbers. So um, it's, it's really changed over the years. So guys, almost everybody now brings out a college teammate or a brother. You know,
3: Joe, he got me thinking there about you talking in our, in our book about the five levels of being a professional. When you start as a caddy, no experience, there's a point, we talk about this in the book, where you begin to believe I belong here. Mm. Uh, how long was that if you want learning curve for you john to understand that you know what i am pretty good at
4: this you know it took it took a while uh because you know playing high level amateur golf division one golf you think you know the game and you think you know golf but when you get to that level it is so much more information and so much quicker you know guys everybody thinks guys play slowly out there and i agree they do but the amount of information they are going through compared to what a good amateur going is going through is mind-boggling. If that's what I try and do as an announcer, sometimes is really, you know, go through. Here's everything they're really thinking about. This isn't 152 nine iron. It's not that. You've got so much more information to go through to make sure you're hitting the right shot, and they do it relatively quickly. Most of them. So, but about my, um, I, I started out uh, first couple tournaments with Kevin was okay it was very much a yes man, you know, cause I, I didn't want to get in his way. I wanted him, I wanted to learn. And once I had a solid opinion, you know, and knew what he wanted, then I would start interjecting a little bit. So it was probably a good 10, 12 tournaments in. Um, once you give a couple of really good pieces of advice that work out um, that you start feeling, okay, I get it. You know, I get it. And Joe, you said it, you know, earlier on, you can't be afraid to be wrong and you can't be out there trying to, placate and and agree with this guy all the time because he's not going to be right all the time. No way, but he's paying you for your opinion. And you have to, you have to be able to give it no matter what the situation and not be afraid of it. You can't be afraid of losing your job. Um, I can tell, you know, watching and listening to guys, I can tell when guys are just trying to keep their job and when they're seriously caddying. Um, And it's, it's a, it's a vast difference in terms of, of, of those two approaches to caddying.
1: Absolutely. Tell me what you think now, what you've heard. I want guys that are going to give me all of themselves. You just said it, too, about the AAA to the major league experience, where the vast amount of information are so different. Uh, the minor leagues com- uh, primarily are to get your mechanics in order. Uh, when it comes down to the game planning or course management, things like that are there, but they might become more important as you get to AAA, at maybe the latter part of AA. But when you get to the big leagues, when I got to the major leagues as a coach, it was completely different. Uh, i thought i knew but i didn't um, still 90 feet still 60 feet six inches defenses are relatively the same but the game could not have been more different and you have to learn that you have to learn i had to learn as a coach just like you're suggesting how do i help my guys uh, what do i need what level do, uh, what level do i need to think at what do i need to know in order to be a contributing member of this coaching staff because i wasn't when you're when you begin and you're saying it as a caddy when i first began as a major league coach it was hard for me to contribute i didn't have I didn't know the league. I didn't know the other players. I didn't know how this whole thing worked. And then uh, Tommy intimated there, I sat down one night, and I i don't know it just came to me, the five levels of being a professional. Level one, being happy to be here. Level two, survival. I like this. I want to stay here. Level three, I belong here. I can do this. Your seminal moment occurs where all of a sudden it's like, wow, this makes sense. Now I can contribute. Level four would be I want to make as much money as I possibly can. That would be as a player because as a coach, God, you just, you're just at the mercy of some uh, general manager and I was at the mercy. Yeah, but then level five, all I want to do is win. And I think it's easy for a caddy or a coach to fall into that category. All I want to do is win. So you have to go through those stages, I think, in order to really contribute uh, in, in your situation to the player or for me, the players that I was working with um, uh, from the minor league to the major league level. So it's really like we just already talked about it. The unique... Um, uh, it's, it's so similar what you do and what we've done is what I've done in the minor leagues and even your path. I mean, I'm listening to you talk. It's incredibly similar.
4: Yeah. I mean, uh, once, once Tom invited me beyond, I, uh, I, I sat on the couch and read almost the whole book yesterday. And it, it, I was amazed at the similarities in, in um, you know, the preparation and the approach um, the biggest difference I saw from, from amateur golf, high amateur golf to pros, like you said, get your fundamentals in order. When you get on the PGA tour, if you get to that level, you've got enough game in every part of your game to succeed if you get there but when you get there it's it's completely about playing the game how do i outthink this guy how tough am i in these these high pressure situations do i back off do i you know so i think for a player and a caddy it's much more about forgetting all those fundamentals they're here you've got to accept that they're here and believe that they're here and play the game
1: they become embedded after a yep. period of time i mean you have to uh, whether it's batting practice, uh, side piece on the mound, taking your ground balls pregame, and listen, I'm I'm a, now an avid golfer. I've I've come back after 30 years of not playing, and I'm a freak right now, brother. I mean, <laughs> and and I, when I go out to play, I really got to get away from my mechanics. And the days that I do, I play the best. So it's it's just it's the same everywhere, man. We get caught up in our own heads, and that comes to my son asked me to ask you a question. Joey's spectacular, uh, and he asked me to ask you when your guys get in their own head. And we all get in our own heads. What do you do to get them out of it? Is there anything you do specifically?
4: That's a great question. And it depends on how they're in their head. Are they angry in their head? Are they, I'm, I'm lost. I don't know what my swing's doing. Um, and or are they just nervous? Are they just completely wrapped up in nerves in this big situation? So you take it different ways. If they're angry, you give them a couple holes to work through it. If they don't, then you got to give them some tough love because at that point, you know, the, the nice, Hey, you're, you're great. You're a great player. Come on. That doesn't work. They don't want to hear that. You got to get in their face and go, Hey, quit it. All right. You know, knock it off. You're better than this. Let's go. Come on. Make one good swing. We're back in this. If they're nervous um and, and it's a big situation coming down the stretch for the first time or at a major and they're trying to win a huge tournament. um I like, I think those times in between the shots are just as important as the information you give, during the shot, get his mind out of golf. Hey, uh, you know, with Cooch, it was you know his two boys, Cameron and um, and Carson, are amazing athletes. So let's talk about what they're doing. Hey, how would Cam play in his tournament last week? What's Carson doing? You know, um, other times it's um, you know, hey, did you see this movie? So and so. I'm reading this book, and here's what it's about. All of a sudden, it, they they're out of their head, even for 30 seconds. And when they get to the ball. It's fresh, you know, they they didn't spend three minutes walking with their head down, slowly grinding on, this is so important. What if I win this tournament? Or, gosh, I'm not hitting this shot well. What am I doing? Get them out of that, completely out of it for, for three minutes as they're walking, they eat the ball. It's a fresh start. So uh, there, there's there's different things, different approaches, and you got to watch their body language to figure out what's best.
1: It's the silence between the notes that create the music. That's what you just described. And, you know, And that's... Uh, you're, and again, Tom described you as the best analyst. Everything you just told me makes you one of the better coaches <laughs> I've ever met, and also one of the better analysts. I, I mean, I, partly because I guess I really agree with everything you just said. I think it's right on. I appreciate that, and
3: I say best analyst too because I know, and you've you've heard it throughout this this conversation here. You know, John is well prepared to be an analyst on TV, not just because of what he did as a caddy, but his work habits. Because I know in this business, preparation is, if not everything, it's pretty darn close to it. And John, you know, going into a a telecast, you are like a caddy prepared for any eventuality and have to respond in real time in that moment and not only respond, but. Be concise. And to me, that's one. I don't know if you feel this, John. It's one of the great challenges to distill all that information that you have. And for me, it's if I'm a field reporter, get it in between pitches, which is not a lot of time. And for you, between shots and saying the right thing, a lot of information distilled in a quick period of time that's digestible and more than anything interesting. Uh, It sounds like you like that challenge. You, You do it so well.
4: I love it. And what happens typically is, you know, you've got the producer in your ear, you've got the telecaster in your ear and you know, they're coming to you, but you're not exactly sure when, you're not exactly sure when this guy's going to hit the shot. It's not like it's, you know, you have 15 seconds every time. So when I know they're coming to me and I'm I'm watching the guys pre-shot, are they still talking? Have they picked the club? How am I going to have more time to extemporize on, on what, what's going on into this shot? But when when you know they're coming to you for something, you have a thirty second answer, a fifteen second answer, and a seven second answer. Um, you know, obviously, if you've got thirty seconds, you can talk a lot about what's going into the shot, what they're talking about, the decisions, what to avoid, what they're trying to do. If it cuts down a little bit, you can knock some of that out. And you know, if it's if it's a seven seconds, then you have got to get down to the kernel. And and instead of saying one fifty two nine iron, which I think is boring. I want to say here's the single most important thing about this decision and this shot, and I want to get it in quickly. So you kind of, you ride along with the telecast and go, okay, I've got 30. Nope. Now I've got 15. No, nope, I won't have seven. Here's what it is. So yeah, I love that challenge. Um, and, um, it's a, uh, it's, it's similar to caddying, you know, you don't want to give your player a ton of information. He doesn't need it all. You want to tell him the one thing that's going to make him believe in the shot. So, um, You know, I try to do the same thing, uh, you know, talking on the air as I did to my player.
3: Very cool. Well, Joe, you know, John is a guy who travels with his guitar. So we have to talk about music and especially rock and roll. And we will right after a quick break.
1: This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge.
0: Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpresscom with amex
6: Whether you are a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cash back rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a Visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at kemba.org to unlock a limited time two percent cash back on purchases and pay zero percent interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new Visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club.
3: Welcome back to the Book of Joe podcast with John Wood. And, and John, I mentioned you travel with your guitar. You've recorded some music, uh, an album, in fact. Um, we talk here, Joe and I, about sometimes when you want to get your head right, you jump in your car, you turn up the stereo, you put Bruce on, uh, and just enjoy the ride for you. What gets you right?
4: Oh, I can't express how big music has been in my life for every reason. Um, it's been every, as a as a, you know, the typical teenager, um, there were certain bands that, that changed, changed my world. There's no question about it. They changed my life and they, they continue to do so to this day. Um, it's so important to me in, in every way. when the band R.E.M. quit being a band, I, I got to know those guys fairly well over the years. And I I wrote a letter to them when they when they finished it, talking about how amazing it was that they provided the soundtrack to so much of my life. You know, when I hear certain songs, I'm immediately transported back to a person or a place or a time in my life, um, you know, and it, music to me is always given if I'm in a good mood it can make me in a better mood. It, it can take me higher. You know um, if I'm in a, you know, a sad mood um, it's um, it's almost like a friend saying, I understand what you're going through here. I mean, you're going to get through it. Don't worry about it. It's it's okay to be feeling like this. And, and um, that to me is it's I listen to music so much and play music. It's uh, other than, than, you know, finding little league games and minor league games on the road. First thing I do is look at, all right, who's in town this week. Can I go see any shows? So it's uh it's invaluable to my life.
1: Losing my religion, brother.
4: Yes, absolutely,
1: <laughs> absolutely. One of my favorite. <laughs> Can I just go back for one second, Tommy? Because you kind of you kind of touched on it. Uh, yeah, that last please. segment, uh, John. Uh, the uh, overabundance of information, hmm. uh, too much a glut of information that could tend to confuse. Um, in our game, baseball uh, analytics have become a really big part of it. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been into it for years and actually was at the forefront of it with the Tampa Bay Rays, Devil Rays and then the Rays. And um, there's different reasons why I think it's important. But I also believe that at some point you got to shut the doors uh, and, and really uh, minimize the amount of information that you carry. So how much do you utilize or any utilization of analytics in, in your prep in prep for golfers going into a tournament? Or actually how much is used during the course of a round because you do want to minimize the noise and get back to the being unconsciously competent, just see the ball, hit the ball, and hit your target kind of a thing.
4: Sure. Uh, probably very similar to baseball in that it's the last few last five, 10 years. Um, an amazing amount of, of, of stat statistics are used now in terms of preparation. A lot of guys hire stats guys and, and they will say, you know, they'll go through things like, um, Hey, this whole last year in this tournament, played over par and let's figure out why as the whole field, as a field played it over par, let's figure out why and know when you approach this hole during this week, you do not have to make birdies to gain, gain strokes on the field. If you make four pars, you're going to pick up, you know, one and a half shots on the field compared to last year. So in terms of approach to certain holes, it makes a huge difference. Um, I think this is my personal opinion. I think good caddies have all that information without having the numbers, you know, um, uh, yeah, a, a good caddy writes down everything about every shot when they hit it. How far did we have? What was the wind doing? What club did we hit? How far did it go? Um, so you go back year after year and go, Hey, I know we hit hybrid off this T four times last year, but we hit it in the rough three times. We played the hole over par. Um, and if you hit driver, it's carrying that bunker and leaving with a sandwich. Even if you only hit the fairway once, it's a huge advantage to do that. So, um, I think without having a, a huge bank of information as a caddy, you know what's going to work right. Um, so there's, there's, a, there's a type of caddy that uh, we, all, we all refer to as overkill guys who, like you said, Joe, a moment ago, you can have all the information in the world, but if you're not confident about what that one thing is to get them to hit the right shot, all that information is completely useless. So you, you hear on the air, if a guy gets asked a question, uh, if a caddy gets asked a question, instead of saying yes or no, and then leading into the explanation, they will talk for 45 seconds giving information without giving an opinion. Um, right. You,
1: <laughs> sorry for laughing. That's, yeah, it's true. That's, that's, perp, that's perfectly stated. <laughs> oh there have done God. that, huh? That is perfectly stated. Wow. <laughs> Well, Joe, you also
3: talked in the book about how when the stakes got higher, basically in mm-hmm. the postseason, the more people wanted to get involved with numbers yeah. and, and, and getting even more detailed. I'm wondering, John, if you found that at whether it's Ryder Cup, President's Cup, uh, or especially the majors, um, where the atmosphere is a little bit different. And, and I my experience is great players tend to treat those moments exactly the same. Nothing changes. The tendency, human nature, is to make it bigger. We need more information. Uh, so, give me an idea of what it's like being a, at a major or some of the the high profile events.
4: That's so true. I've I've watched more players overwork Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday um, at a major, and they get to Thursday and they're just exhausted. They've got nothing left in the tank because they've changed their their routine. You know, if your routine is what you think is best for you during, um, you know, the R- Riviera in L.A., um, why isn't why is it when you get to Augusta, you completely change that routine? You know, if, if you think the correct thing to do is what you're doing at Augusta, then you should be doing that every week. But when you, you know, you change everything, you're telling your body and your mind that this is bigger. This is something else than what you normally do. Um, so I think it, it's huge as a caddy to keep, keep him in the same routine. Um, the best guy at that it was Tiger. Tigers, I mean, he prepared the exact same way Every single week. Um, and he put as much in, you know, the shot, seven iron he's hitting at home in T-shirts and a short. He gave this shorts. He gave the same amount of attention to as the seven iron he needs to hit at Augusta to win the golf tournament. So when he gets to that shot at Augusta, he's not nervous. It's the same feeling, you know, obviously it's bigger and he's more amped up, but it's the same feeling. Um, I'll tell you, Hunter Mahan, I, when I worked for Hunter, his first president's cup was in Montreal. Uh, Big time. When you make your first American team, it's huge. You know, you're there with Tiger and Phil and all these guys that have been your, your heroes and, and your examples over the years. And, you know, Hunter had a really good team around him. He had a sports psychologist and he had a putting coach. And they were both there kind of as a reward for for being with him the whole time. And um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it was like they they wouldn't let him get five feet away from him. Every They were right on top of him the entire time. And I let it go for a couple days. And you know, I just once he didn't play well in his first match on Thursday. Um, and I sat down with those two guys and I go, You guys are amazing, you do a great job, but let's once you stand 30 feet back, and when we need you, if we need you, we'll call you in. Absolutely, we'll call you in, you know, during the practice. But but to be there every second, it's it's too much.
1: So they you have did. no idea. Speaking, you have no idea what you're saying right now. You are qualified to work in my world. I am not qualified to work in yours. Uh, the funniest thing
4: about that was, you know, Tiger notices everything. You think he's very insular and in his own world. But uh, that day when Hunter started to warm up on Friday, um, Tiger was hitting balls, you know, eight or nine stalls down. And he, I hear, Woody, come here. So he calls me over and, and I, I go over. I go, what's up? And He goes did you tell so-and-so to F off? <laughs> 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 I said, yeah, I said, we need a little break. He goes, good call. So Tiger, you know, he notices everything. It's incredible.
1: It sounds familiar, huh, Joe? <laughs> uh, this, I mean, listen, I, I'm really, I'm so impressed by everything you're saying right now and it, and it dovetails perfectly into, into our baseball world right now. Um, and writing notes down as we're talking right now, because everything, uh, we are, we're touching on right now. It really, um, it's very familiar to me. It's very familiar. And it's the kind of things, it's, it's the stuff that uh, bothers me about us too, where um, there's so much, uh, uh, so many people want to create input right prior to the game mm-hmm. and and you, you don't need it right prior to the game. I want them to give us our work and then, like you said, stay 30 feet away. Uh, you don't really need to constantly be uh, reminding people uh, about something that some kind of work that you had done hours ago. Of course, I want to hear about it, but I don't want to continually uh, hear about it. So uh, there's times less as well. One of my first, when I have my opening um, talk with the team in, um, in spring training, I'll say, listen, I want us to play the same game on March 15th as we do on June 15th, as we do on October 15th. Same game. I want the same kind of prep attitude. Actually, I want less like Tommy suggested. Uh, when you're When you're doing it all year long, the body takes a beating without even realizing it, repetition constantly. It's difficult. It's difficult to recreate physically that kind of movement precisely unless you do give yourself a little bit of a break. I think diminishing returns thus set in. So I've always wanted my guys to space things out. But the approach of the day has got to be the same. So by the time you get to October, you're not adding more weight to that moment. Mm-hmm. The, the weight should be the equal amount of weight that you applied in April, June, July. And October as you're playing in the ALCS, NLCS, trying to get to the World Series. Yeah,
4: hundred um, percent. I hate to keep going back to him, but he's the example of how to do things, you know, the right way so much. I asked Tiger once, you know, would you rather um, would you rather be completely prepared physically, knowing you had every shot in your bag the way you wanted it Thursday morning, and maybe be a little worn out or have things that you're still working towards and be completely fresh on Thursday. Before I finish the question, he said, I want to be fresh on Thursday. I'll figure the rest out. I'll put up a score and I'll figure that out.
1: We're going to work together <laughs> someplace somehow. I mean, if I ever get a manager's job again, you're going to be on that staff somehow. Oh I mean, my the, God. All this stuff you're talking about, I, Tommy knows because Tommy and I talk about this all the time. Mm-hmm. You're describing such parallel universes. It's, it's really uh, great to hear. Uh, it's it's the great to hear your thoughts validated by someone in your position, but it's it's so similar. It's it's scary. It actually is scary.
4: I'm I'm holding you to that. I'm I'm going to record okay. this, and if you get another manager job, I'm calling my producer right away. I says I'm out. I'm 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 going to work. For
1: what if we play the Giants though? What if we play the Giants? Where's your loyalty <laughs>
4: you that point? Right now, I got no problem. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. but Joe, you broke his heart, I'm sure, in that 2016
4: oh, playoff series. Yeah.
1: Oh, that was great. <laughs> and 20, 2002, 2002 wasn't oh, 2002, that.
4: 2002. Right. Uh, but here, let me tell you a story about 2002. I, you know, was I was a huge Giants fan and had never been there for, as a fan for a, a World Series win and it, things were looking great. Five, nothing um, with our ace, Russ Ortiz on the mound. And I saw Dusty walk up those steps and I love Dusty, but I I saw Dusty walk up the steps and I think all of Russ had given up was like a, a, a cheap ground ball that got through and maybe a walk and, and Dusty took him out. And I just – I shook my head and I, I put – this is the time of VCRs. I put a tape in, <laughs> left, and listened to music for two hours driving around. <laughs> Came back, saw the score, said, I knew it. i glad I didn't watch that because I knew it was
1: coming. Again, uh, something I yeah. would have done. Exactly. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Wow. Listen, that, that's that really saved because the guy brought in – Fernandez, right, Tommy's Yeah. Fernandez. Yeah. Hernandez. Yep. Fernandez. Yeah, he only threw fastballs. And right. Spies could only hit a fastball. <laughs> and that was that was a perfect matchup for us.
4: Yeah, yep. uh, I, I, I remember. In hindsight, I'm kind of glad that the teams that won it first were the, the they got their first, um, just because they were more likable teams than than you know the Bonds era. But um, yeah, yeah, that that one broke my heart at the time for sure.
3: Well, John, we do have a job for you right now. That's to be part of a segment we call a reading from the book of joe we believe that every one of these pages has a good story an interesting factoid or maybe it's just some life lessons involved in it so we ask our guests to pick a number at their choosing from one to 368 and that's when we will have a reading from the book of joe so your turn
4: uh, you know, I thought of a di- couple different ways to go about this, but I, I got to go with my favorite giant of all time, Will Clark. And I'll go with 22. Wow. Start early in the butt. 22. Will Clark. All right.
3: OK, this is getting into uh, Joe's background. And uh, of course, he's from Hazleton, PA. And we talk about one of his idols, Joe Namath. Sports fueled him. Friends called him Broad Street Joe the Hazleton quarterback version of Broadway Joe Namath, his favorite football player, or Termite because he was small and feisty, or Monsignor because of his clean language, a trait that, to his parents' chagrin, would not last. Change. Madden was a three-sport standout at Hazleton High School. He went on football recruiting trips to Gettysburg and Brown, but as someone who had never slept outside his own bed on East 11th Street, He was uncomfortable at both places. He decided to play football at Lafayette College, about 45 miles from home, for Coach Neil Putnam. In late summer of 72, Joseph and Beanie drove their oldest son to Lafayette and dropped him and his footlocker at room 123 of McKean Hall. Only three days later, just after freshman football practice had begun, Madden walked to a payphone at the end of the hallway at his dorm. He called his mother. Mom, I want to come home. He told her, I'm going to become a plumber just like dad. (laughs) He was homesick, and the competition he faced for playing time was nothing like what he'd known in Little Hazleton. No, you are not coming home, Beanie said. No, I really want to, Joe told her. I can't do this. I'm not good enough. After a week or so, you're going to be fine, she said. You're going to get into it, and you're going to enjoy yourself. You're staying there. Madden hung up. He stayed. Of course, after a week or two, she was right, he says. And boy, doesn't that ring true with almost all of us, right, John? I mean, you get those moments of doubt in your mind. And, and whether it's family or friends, you have influencers um, who kind of get pull you through those moments. And you're the better for going through those tough times.
4: No question. I think sometimes people around you know what you're capable of more than than you know. Um, and that sounds like one of those points where Joe's mom knew that he could do this. And and he just needed to stick it out past this one point. So. Um, it's important, so important to have those people that that believe in you more than maybe you believe in yourself.
1: I could, I mean, it's a little payphone at the end of the hall by the bathroom. <laughs> no cell phones at that time. You got to put your quarters in there. I probably called uh, reverse charges at that time, right? And, yeah. and, <laughs> and, and my mom's a tough pole. She's still with us. She'll be ninety on uh, January first. And oh, beanies, she's that. still tough. She's still. I walk in the room. She gives me a hard time. I, I didn't show up a cup for a couple of days, and she. I walked in, and she said. Well, 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 like, where have you been? Uh, So I'll never, Beanie will never stop giving me crap, and I love her for it.
4: Oh, that's tremendous. Tom, you mentioned your your plumbing emergency on Christmas. If if that hadn't worked out for Joe, he might have been over there fixing your bike the next day.
3: (laughs) I've been dialing up Joe. Hey, can you come over at 3.15 in the morning? But uh, Joe, I remember you telling stories about your dad. dad would have. He would do that all the time in those hazelton winters and, and would do it with a smile on his face that's a life lesson right there and my
1: mom would go with them a lot and if the guy the people couldn't pay he would just trade something off i mean that's wow. just how he was special yeah
3: and you, and you went long enough to understand that that's not what you wanted to do. yeah <laughs> that's
1: uh I, I figured that out rather quickly yeah. i you know i didn't know a 916 from a seven eights, man i had no clue still don't
3: <laughs> hey john give us an idea as we enter this new year here what's ahead for you short term and long term
1: Got some great stuff coming
4: up this year. I'm starting, obviously, at Kapalua in a couple weeks, which is uh, or actually in about a week, uh, which is always a a great place to start the year. Um, So I'll work those two in Hawaii. Then I'll work the American Express in Palm Springs. Um, Then things kind of switch over to CBS at that point from NBC for a while. So I'll have some time off after that. But, uh, boy, we've got some uh, the women's U.S. Opens at Pebble for the first time. Wow. Uh, Men's U.S. Open at, at L.A. Country Club, which would be incredible. Never been played there before. Or if it has, it's been ages. Um, Royal Liverpool for the Open Championship, which is – I love the course. It probably doesn't get as many accolades as it should. Um, but then, you know, we got back-to-back in in Spain and Italy, the Ryder Cup and the Solheim Cup. So, uh, I'm really looking – Ryder Cup's my favorite uh, favorite event in any sport anywhere. And if you guys haven't been to one, put it on your bucket list. Cause it's like uh it's like a college football game and uh, happen to be golf going around it. But uh, it's just the, the, the atmosphere is just electric um, uh, from a team standpoint. So really looking forward to all those.
1: We accept the invitation. We're there. <laughs> hey, you're in.
4: Come. Hey, I need, I I, I I need a yardage guy every week. You can do my yardage. Anytime. Where,
1: where's it at? Where's it at this year? <laughs>
4: It's in uh, Italy. Oh, in my Rome. God. Oh my, my
1: goodness.' goodness. You Come on, my. You guys. Hey, Paisano, you're speaking my language. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, yep, John, this, this has been just so much fun. We knew
3: you'd, you'd be able to kind of hone in on some of the themes we have in the book, but I think Joe both of us realized, or didn't realize, the, the level of similarities, and it was really just so instructive and entertaining and interesting to, to hear you explain all that. So I can't thank you enough.
4: Uh, guys, uh, I work in golf. Baseball is my all-time love, uh, and uh, honestly, I've never been more nervous for a podcast or uh, an interview than than coming in with you guys because uh, it's baseball. You know what can I say? It just it's always meant the world to me. So it's been my honor. So thanks for having me on. Uh, it's been a blast.
1: Unknowingly, you are a baseball guy. I just want you to know that you truly oh. are a baseball. You get it. You totally, you totally get it. You absolutely get it.
4: Thank you very much. I, that's a high, high compliment.
1: And happy New Year to you, to you and your family, buddy. Thanks for being. You guys here. too. Appreciate. I hope it.
4: we run into you on the road sometime. Just get in touch if
1: you're ever close. We will. Close, please do. We will. Trust me. We <laughs> will. Italy sounds
2: good,
3: <laughs> real good. Well, Joe, what a pleasure that was to spend some time with John Wood, a guy who's – I knew he was a huge baseball fan, by the way, because he told me, like I did as a kid, he played the game Ethan Allen's All-Star Baseball. That was the <laughs> baseball game with the cards and the spinner. Uh, so, Right, right, right. He's a bona fide baseball guy and obviously a, a great – observer of human nature would you have to be as a caddy
1: he really is he's, he's he sees things man that's what i talk about the best coaches see see things um and i would i would have to believe that any guy any player that got to work with john um they'd want him back i mean what would, would he just related to us um just freely from a coaching sense to me it was outstanding and um i i didn't realize he was all of that but he's all of that yeah, that was a lot of fun. So, yeah.
3: Happy New Year, Joe. You got something to uh, kind of start us off in 2023 to take us out?
1: Yeah, yeah, I would. This is from Henry Rollins from the 1980s punk scene that you might know, Black Flag, because I think you're more in tune to that than I was. I am. but Well, uh, I know John Wood would enjoy this. Yes, He's exactly. big into
3: the replacements and the punk scene.
1: <laughs> there you go. So, um, I thought this was great. But if you want a good body, work at it. If you want to be a success, work at it. Uh, if you want to be truly exceptional, be a touch insane. You need a little insanity to do great things. We've talked about it. You Got to be a little bit crazy to to be great. And I and I read that. And I thought it was absolutely perfect. You got to take a chance and always remember fortune favors the bold. All those thoughts, all wrapped up into one, going into the new year, uh, nineteen seventy six two point That's how I'm looking at it. Awesome. Get outside your box. That's it, baby. That's where that's where the real real living begins. Happy New Year, Joe. See you next time. You too, brother. Thank you, man.
3: The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you